divine knife. Apparently, there's certain types of judging. And all throughout the New Testament, we could spend a whole sermon, we're not going to, but we could spend a whole sermon looking at different texts, texts like Galatians 1.8, or Philippians 3.2, or Titus 3.10-11, whole texts in the New Testament that share that God wants us in some way to make some calls, to make some judgments, right? So we can put the idea kind of to the side that we're never supposed to criticize any type of behavior. Because that's not biblical. But what does Jesus mean when he says judge not? And then he spilled a lot of ink here in Luke on how to deal with judging. That's what we're going to find out today. Now it's helpful, thankfully, we've been studying through the whole book of Luke. So we're just not parachuting in here, but we've got some background. Last week we were in Luke 6. And that portion of text, verses 27 through 36. If you're a member, Luke presented an ethic of love. How to live Loving one another in spite of the fact that we serve a loving God. A merciful, tender, compassionate God. It changes the way we interact with one another. With that background, we can see when Jesus starts to talk about a way to appropriately judge people and not judge people. He's meaning to add to this ethic of love. He's talking about how can we love one another in such a way that we'll all best see God's glory. God's greatness, the supremacy of Christ, the treasure that he is for us in Jesus. There's got to be a way that we can love one another to that end. And that's why Luke 6 in this passage is there to kind of show us, to shape us, to steer us towards the type of love that we need to have towards one another in order to see God most clearly. If you look down at the very bottom of the passage I read, verse 47, Jesus tells a story and basically says this, uh, if, you heed, if you pay attention to my words on criticism and, and judging the right way, you'll be like a man who built his house on a solid foundation, right? So that when the storm came, the house stood, withstood the flood. That's flourishing. That's the spiritual flourishing that Christ wants for you. But then he also warns, now if you don't heed my words and do what I say in regards to judging and criticizing, You'll be like the man who built a house on this muddy, sandy foundation. So when it rained, the water came, the house swept away. That's destruction, spiritual destruction. Jesus means to say, following his words in regards to judging should lead us to more and more joy in Jesus Christ. So let's throw out some words here that will help us distinguish between the right kind of judging and the wrong kind of judging. The wrong kind of judging Jesus is going to call condemnation. So condemning others, that, that's a no-no. That's not the face of Jesus. The right face of Christ, when we're dealing with people, we might call tough love. Right? You've heard that expression, tough love. Jesus is pushing for us to show tough love to one another here in this passage. Now that's challenging because none of us, when we hear tough love, we, we may not like it. Right? When you were a kid... And your daddy came and said, I'm going to show you some tough love. You probably didn't enjoy that. Even if you're a parent now and you have to go and show some tough love to your kids, it's a challenge, right? But it could be a challenge, though. Maybe the reason we, we react negatively against it, maybe we've never seen it done well, right? We've never seen it done well. Like asparagus. I hated asparagus until I saw it done well with lots of butter, right? Cook it in that butter. I can handle it. Maybe that's the way tough love, that concept is here. So what we're going to do now, when we look over the text, 
is to dive in and see what Christ would have us do in situations when we're rubbing elbows with other believers, other people in your life, and we need to point out their, their faults gently in a way that shows them God. So that's what the text is about today. We'll start in verses 37 and 38. And here's the first point for taking notes. First point is tough love wears fleece. Tough love wears fleece. Read verse 37 again with me. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So Christ begins here advocating against condemning others. And it's especially true when you have been wronged, when you have been sinned against. And he's assuming, again, assuming he's, he's assuming we're in a close family, and when you're with family sometimes, you're going to step on each other's toes. And that's, that's what he's assuming here. You're close enough that you're going to be sinned against sometimes, and when that happens, you don't condemn that person. That's why he brings up forgiveness here, right? You might expect him when he's talking about judging, you might expect him to say, judge not, instead let everything go. That's not what he says. He says, judge not, instead forgive people. He's talking about a type of relationship when someone gets you, they sin against you, then we are to respond with forgiveness, right? Tough love coming to that person. We are to respond. So tough love, it's got a fist, but the fist is wearing a fleece mitten, right? It's soft. It's tender. We're not trying to hurt them, but we are trying to be firm here. And forgiveness wraps your tough love up in fleece. I remember I went to seminary and uh, learned a lot of stuff, man. A lot of academic stuff. Be honest with you, I've forgotten some of it. You know, you're saying, I know, I heard you preach. But, but I, did, I didn't forget everything. I had a roommate there. Bless God, his name was Matt. When I first got to seminary, I was single. He was single, so we were rooming together. We had an accountability relationship, and it was great. I'll never forget the day that he pulled me out on the balcony, and he set me aside, and he said, man, I've seen some sin in your life. And he was right. He's like, you know, you kind of went behind my back on this. He was right on. He said, when you were telling me those half-truths, you're actually lying to me. And that's offensive to God and to me. He was right on. He was spot on. But you know why I remember that so much? Because in doing so, even though it was a little sloppy, a little clumsy, he offered me forgiveness. Right? He didn't condemn me right there. He didn't come to me for that. He came to me so he could show me the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Something that I can see. Jesus is not here anymore. He's reigning in heaven. So he wanted me to see a picture of Christ. And so he came and he forgave me. And it was beautiful. Tough love wears fleece. We stop short of punishment, right? We don't stand as judge and jury over someone when they sin against us. We show them forgiveness. And look in 38, the next verse. There's more fleece. There's more softness here. There's more delicacy, thoughtfulness, tenderness than just offering forgiveness. In loving people with tough love, Jesus said we are to give. We are to give. Read it, 38. And give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. will be put into your life. For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. The word picture here is of a container where in order to get more stuff in it, you, you press it down. 
So much so that the stuff in the container is flowing over. That's what he means by good measure, pressed down, shaken up. He's talking about we are to give abundant grace. A grace, is, grace is to be so much that it's packed into our lives. Grace is to be so full that it's flowing over our cups, even as we're approaching someone in kind of a tough love situation because we know they stepped out of bounds. They're sinning against God. Even still, we are to show them grace. And don't forget, this graciousness is a picture of Jesus. Just like forgiveness is, also being surrounded, being a man, being a woman of grace, that mimics Jesus himself. That mimics Jesus. This week when I was on my vacation, we went out on a uh, wilderness uh, walk, out where wild things are in, in the exotic location of Gainesville, Florida, right? So they had alligator, but, but they had uh, bison out there, and they had horses that they just let roam. And 400 acres, they just let them roam out there on the prairie. And we were fortunate enough that horses, as they're prone to do, they had gotten together, and there were some baby horses out there. And I was watching, and it was phenomenal. There's a the mama, ba- mama horse, and she was actually teaching baby horse how to horse, how to, how to be a horse. <laughs> She's jumping. Whenever she would jump, baby horse would jump, right? Whenever she'd bend down, baby horse would bend down. That's how you learn by mimicking. And that's how Paul, I mean, Luke wants us to learn Jesus. We are to mimic him, especially when we are sinned against. Talk about Easter coming up. Talk about Jesus rolling in on the donkey. He's being sinned against. We can mimic that love as we show grace to others who have sinned against us. But we need to heed some warnings. Because what we don't want to show up when somebody's offended you, you don't want to show up and just be a critic, right? That's not what Christ wants. That's not graciousness. In fact, Pastor John Stott warns us of being the wrong type of critic. Here's what he says. He said, the wrong type of critic is a fault finder who's just negative and destructive towards other people and enjoy, do you ever meet this person? They enjoy actively seeking out their failings. They put the worst possible construction on people's motives. Pour cold water on their schemes and is ungenerous towards their mistake. That's not the face of Jesus, right? That's what Christ is warning us against. That's the type of judge that we ought not be. Another problem that we have sometimes uh, as we're dealing with people, trying to show them tough love, but trying to do it softly, sometimes we make wrong assumptions, right? Wrong assumptions. Stott later says this. He says, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be people, to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help us distinguish up from animals, right? But instead, we are to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God. See, when you're sinned against, most of us, our, our, our first motive, our first instinct is want to be God and to punish. That's not what he's talking about. Even our assumptions are often misled. Pastor Kevin DeYoung writes these words, offering some insights. If you're going to correct or if you're going to uh, try to help someone, if you see a problem in their life, there's certain things you shouldn't assume. Listen to these words of wisdom here. He writes, don't assume that you know all the facts after hearing one side of the story, right? 
Don't assume she is guilty just because strong charges are made against her. Don't assume you understand a blogger's heart after just reading one post. And don't assume the, the divorce guy is to be blamed for the divorce, right? And don't assume the guy from the mission is any less of a man or less of a Christian than you are. And don't assume you'd be a better mom. Don't assume bad kids are the result of bad parents. Don't assume your own parents are clueless. Bad move. Don't assume the single woman isn't following God's best plan for her life. And don't assume everyone should drop everything to attend to your needs. And don't assume that no one will. Don't assume that the rich are ungenerous. Don't assume that the poor are lazy. And don't assume you know what these people are like just because you've met a couple of them. Don't assume you should read between the lines. Right? Don't assume you have interpreted the emotions in the email correctly. And don't assume everybody's forgotten about you. Don't assume everybody else has a charmed life. Don't assume a bad day makes her a bad friend. And don't assume repentance isn't genuine. Don't assume his forgiveness isn't serious. Don't assume God can't change you. Don't assume God doesn't love you. And don't assume God doesn't love them. See how those false assumptions can cloud our view when we're trying to pursue people and to show them Jesus? In fact, isn't it just like Jesus to ask this of us? Think about what Jesus did in the gospel story. He came to us knowing full well we're sinners. Sinners too, I guess. Sinners of sin. We come and Jesus knows we're sinners and yet he moves towards us. But he's not doing it to condemn us. Yes, he judges sin, but what his desire is, is to pull you into his family so that you would be a brother. And because of his death on the cross and his resurrection life, you would know the fullness of God. But he has to approach us for that to happen. Similarly, if we're dealing with people and we see people who have a sin, particularly people who sin against us, we have to approach them. But we approach them with fleece, with graciousness with kindness, with thoughtfulness. We don't worry about punishing their sin. That's God's job, right? God will punish the sin. Your job is just to reveal it and allow the Spirit to operate. You have to trust God to do that. So when you come to someone, Jesus' first word, when you come to someone who sinned against you, come with some aspirin, not the axe. Okay? Come with the mittens, not malice. Tough love wears fleece. Here's the next thing he has for us here. Verse 39 through 42. Jesus has a lot to say about tough love for one another. 39 through 42. Read this with me. So Jesus tells a parable, right? He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that uh, is in your eye out. When you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. See how that works? The blind cannot lead the blind. 
We were on vacation. Here's another story. We were on vacation. My, my little, dear, wonderful, special three-year-old Asa, he wakes up at 4 a.m., right? God bless him. He wakes up at 4 a.m. All the time now, he's seen monsters in his room, right? Every night, he's seen monsters in his room. Good news is he never gets the hiccups anymore, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> but he, he wakes up. He wakes up at 4. And I tell you, at 4 a.m., I am not a parent at 4 a.m., right? I'm more like a zombie sweeper, right? You're just walking around. I sweep him back. Get the broom. I sweep him back into the room. That's a little harsh. I apologize to all the zombies. But I have to deal with him, all right? I'm dealing with him, and it's early, and when I'm done attending to his needs, I go back to the bedroom. But in doing so, I misplace my glasses. If you don't know me, I got contacts in right now, but without contacts and glasses, I'm legally blind. Can't see past my hawkish nose here. So I'm, I'm feeling it. But I, I just, I'm going to bed, so it doesn't matter. So I, I replace my glasses, sit them out over here somewhere. I know I'll get them later. I fall asleep, and then later at a decent hour, 6 a.m., he wakes up again. He's got to be handled, got to be cared for. So I wake up and I can't find him. I'm like, nah. start yelling, Julie, help me. You know, he's got to deal with the pull-up. He can't do that, and I can't do it if I'm blind. he got to brush his little teeth. I can't brush his teeth. I'll miss his mouth because I'm blind. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Blind can't lead the blind. You can't help somebody else with their problems until you deal with the sin in your own heart. All right? That's tough to hear. But Jesus says you've got to deal with your own stuff first, and then we'll deal with the stuff of someone else. You can be little help to another unless you deal first with your own sin. And Christ gives us another illustration on top of this. All right? Don't miss the fact that this illustration also deals with sight, right? Why does he give sight illustration and then another sight illustration? It's because sight is what we need to see the glory of God. The Bible story is that in Jesus, God came and showed us his brightness. But the essence of sin is that we're blind to it. You know, we try to cover it. We don't want to look at his brightness. Even after we're born again, it's in our nature, it's in our DNA to be blind to the glory of Jesus. So part of the process of helping someone else is to pull the blinders off, right? But we've got to do it to ourselves as we're going to them. So he gives us a sight illustration here, a sight word picture. Check it out. Here it is. He says, it's as if your fellow church member, the one who hurt you, it's as if they've got a speck in their eye. You know, you know how that is? You blink a lot. You've got to get it out. The scratchy. You don't want someone else poking in your eye. Dealing with eyes is sensitive, right? But it, it's hurting you. And Jesus said, think about if somebody has a speck in your eye, you want to help them. You want to help them get them out. But it's as if you're going towards them with a big beam in your own eye, right? Maybe you hit them, beam in your... That's not going to work, says Jesus. You've got to take that out first. And I, I have this picture in my mind. A fence post, those four-by-fours that they use to uh, build privacy wooden fences. I had one done at my house not too long ago. 
If you've ever seen somebody build a privacy fence, you put the big post in first, and you got to sit it in concrete before you put the rails on and the picket. So it has to rest for 24, 48 hours. So you set the post in, and then the work people leave. And so I was out at the house, and I looked out, and you see every eight feet, these awkward posts just doing, sticking up out of the ground. I said, that's a picture of who I am. I've, I've got this post sticking up. And look, there's lots of other posts. That's TCC. We're all people with the same problem. That's what Jesus says. We've got to deal with that before we go and help someone else. Got to get the log out first. It's very simple. But I think this one point may be what God wants you to hear today. You must get the log out first as you're going to help others. Anything less would what? It would reek of hypocrisy, right? It would absolutely stink of hypocrisy. Well, what might it look like to begin to get your own log out of your eyes or trying to help somebody else? Again, Pastor Kevin DeYoung is helpful. He gives us a list. Think about these things. He says, think of your tweets, right? Think of your posts. Think of the conversation you had with friends this week. Think of what you talk about with your husband. Think about how you talk about your wife. Think of your emails and your texts. Think of the speech that's pouring out of your heart. Are we doing all that we can to guard and advance our neighbor's good name? Or are we ready to believe the worst, eager to pass out failure, and happy to pile on, especially when the pile is popular? Right? That's a good place to start. Ask yourself these questions. And then after you work through your social media and your speech and your actions, go even deeper. Old theologian from the 1600s, Richard Sids, he wrote this. He says, there is a way that we should be judging ourselves here. And in judging ourselves, let us to labor our judging, let us to labor to judge ourselves for those things that the world takes no notice of. See that? For the spiritual inward things. As for the stirring of pride, of worldliness, of revenge of security, unthankfulness, unkindness toward God, barrenness and good duty that the world cannot see. Oh, let these things humble our hearts. Love has to hold a mirror. That's our second point. You have to hold a mirror up to yourself as you're going to help someone else. You must first move to confess your own evil before God as you're moving towards someone else. That includes a humble mission that you're wrong too. I mess up too. I've offended you too, God. The glory is that James 4.10 promises that if you humble yourself before the Lord, He will exalt you. Right? There's a reward for us humbling ourselves. You might think, what gets in the way of it? Why is it so hard to humble myself and then go help someone else get the speck out of their eye? Why is this log so daunting? Well, I know for a lot of us, we get bogged down in the process of dealing with our own log, right? We've got to deal with this thing, and we think, man, it's going to take weeks. And you never get around to helping anyone else. But it doesn't have to be that way. Some of us get bogged down for several reasons. Here's one. Some of us get bogged down dealing with our own mess because in the depths of us, we really don't believe that God will forgive us for what we've done wrong. You see, we know our own past, and we're like, man, I can't help that person because I've done some stuff too, and I'd be a hypocrite to even bring it up. So I've just got to work through my stuff. 
And what we're failing to believe is that God will actually forgive you for your sin. It's not hard. Instead, it's easy. One pastor, C.J. Mahaney, wrote this famously about seeking God for forgiveness, getting our own log out. Here's what he wrote. He said, have you ever wondered or asked yourself, how can forgiveness possibly be that easy? When I've offended God by my sin, how can it be this easy to be forgiven by God for my sin? It can only be this easy because our Savior has done the unimaginably difficult on our behalf. He has resolved the greatest and the most serious conflict. The conflict between us and a holy God and sinners like you and me. He's resolved that more serious conflict through his substitutionary conflict on the cross. Therefore, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And since the most serious conflict between you and God has already been addressed by the Savior, there's hope for resolving this human conflict as a result. But it must begin with a humbling of ourselves before God and asking forgiveness of Him where it's appropriate. And in the asking, that's where we discover that grace is greater than all of our sins. And it's amazing. Think about this, especially if you're in a season of dryness now, and you feel, man, I've just been feeling really dry lately. Could it be that God's mechanism for giving you more and more joy it's actually this process of having tough love with somebody because in a tough love relationship, you have to humble yourself before God. And it's in the humbling that God shows himself immeasurably great. And you get to drink Jesus. You say, oh man, God adopted me. That's awesome. This salvation's eternal. Fantastic. He has mercy for me no matter what I've done. He's forgiven it. Ah, see how the joy rises up? This process was actually ordained for your happiness in Jesus, for your satisfaction, for your nourishment. That's why Jesus says it's a necessity here. We must be going to one another, but first dealing with our own sin and then dealing with their sin in a way that helps them. Tough love holds up a mirror to our own sin. And tough love wears a fleece. Tough love holds a mirror. Tough love Where's a fleece? Man, speaking of fleece, I could have used one in Florida. You don't believe me. But I'm on my trip, and it's cold. It's April, right? I figured we'll take a drive to the beach, get in the water. Man, it's like spring water out there. Very, very cold. I'm traveling with teenagers now, right? So everything's a little different. I got little ones that were standing up here. Got some teenagers. Things going to be different. They want to stay in a tent, right? So we get the tent out. We do some camping. But it doesn't go well for the teenagers. You know why? Because when they throw the teenage fit, they rush out of the room, they have to slam the tent flap. It's <laughs> just like, <laughs> yes! That's almost true. Almost true. What is true is we, we stayed in a hotel. All right. We rolled up to the Hampton Inn. Like I said, everything's different with teenagers, right? So I got the little ones. We roll up into the lobby area, and I'm dealing with a big luggage rack. And I look over there at the check-in desk, right? The lobby desk, and there's a teenage girl, man, in it. She must be on break from school. Little red-haired girl, braces. Cute little girl. She's over there 
checking people in. I'm over here doing the luggage. My teenager comes up to me. Says, hey, Pops, I'm going to go over there and get her phone number. I'm like, what? Why are you going to call somebody? All you do is text and you're not going to call. No, no, I need a number to call. That. Okay. Feel free to fail, right? <laughs> I know the Williams charm. It ain't going to get you far. But I watch. Teenager goes over there, talking to the lobby, desk girl, front lobby, and talk a little while. She, she giggles something, and she writes something down on a card. He's walking back towards me now. He got a big grin on his face, right? I said, how'd it go, man? How'd it go with the front desk lady? He says, I got her number. I said, what is it? He holds up a piece of paper. It has a zero on it. <laughs> Call the front desk a zero, right? <laughs> That's almost true. <laughs> Speaking of matters of the heart, I got one more point. One more point. Jesus says, tough love. Tough love wears a fleece. Tough love holds up the mirror. Tough love also aims for the heart, all right? Tough love aims for the heart. Here's where I get this. Look at verse 43 and following. Jesus says, again, there's a picture here for you. He said, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. You don't get grapes from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Why is this text about heart stuff and fruits and trees? Why is this here in our passage? Well, first, I want you to note that Christ expects us to be aware of the words and actions of other people. Right? Biblical love never has its head in the sand. All right? Not an ostrich. He wants us to be aware. Why? Because you can, you can hear someone's word, you can see their actions, and you can say, oh, that was good, or, or that was bad. Right? Someone comes to you and they, they speak, and way to go, man. You look, real, you look really good, and you're humble in that moment. That's an encouraging word. That's a good, encouraging word. Someone comes to you and starts gossiping about someone, you can tell. That's a bad, that's a bad word. Words and actions are like fruit that can be observed. And secondly, more importantly, here's the main point. What people say reveals what's going on in their heart. What people say and do to you, right? It's going to reveal what's going on deep inside of them. It's going to reveal what they treasure. Okay, that's the word of Jesus here. This week I was out. This is a true story. <laughs> Uh, this week I was out of the soccer field. My kid's playing soccer, and it starts to storm. And so I got a choice. Am I going to stand out here in the rain? Really? I didn't bring my umbrella. It starts to rain pretty good. And then I see my friend over there, and he's done the wise thing. He's put his car up on the hill above the field, and everybody else is getting wet. He's inside, and he's watching the game. And I say, all right. I go over there, knock down the window. We start talking and making small talk, but I really want to sit with him in the car. <laughs> finally, finally, he's like, hey, you want to come in? I was like, yes. So we're sitting there watching the soccer game, and all of a sudden it gets a little bit awkward because he has to take his work calls 
while we're watching a game, and he answers a phone call, and there's conflict. He's managing conflict. I'm only hearing half of it, right? But there's a big work conflict going on, and he's having to talk about it in front of me, and he hangs up, and somebody else calls. Same thing. Another person calls. So I'm sitting here, just me and him in the car, and he's dealing with all this work junk, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of here, but it's raining, so I ain't going going nowhere. It's fine. We're friends. It's cool. But uh, I, I tell you what, I only heard half that conversation. I only heard his words. But I can tell you now exactly what's going on in his heart. I'm not going to tell you if his words were good or bad. That's not the point. Just hearing his side of the conversation, I knew exactly what was going on. And that's the truth that Jesus says. Our words reveal what's going on in the heart. And when we go to someone, we don't want to spend our time on surface things as much as we need to spend on what they're treasuring. Right? Because if they're treasuring anything but Jesus, that's idolatry. That's the road to destruction. If you're treasuring Christ, that's the road to heaven, to joy, and to Jesus himself. So how do you do this? Right? That's the question. How do we do that? How do you approach a sister and help her see what's at the heart of yelling at her kids, right? What's at the heart about gossiping about her family? What's at the heart of those whack-out Facebook posts she makes, right? How do you find out? How do you help someone get to the very center of their issues? Now, here at TCC, we've used for a while what we call x-ray questions, written by a man named David Powelson, and we'll give them to you. These are the type of questions you may think, I, I can't show tough love to anybody. Just start the conversation. Just start the conversation by asking some questions. Here's a question you can ask. Ask them, what do you love? Is there something you love more than God or that you love more than your neighbor? What do you love? Or here's another good one. What do you want? What do you desire? What are you craving? What do you long for? What do you wish that would happen here? Whose desires are you obeying here? Good. Good questions. What are you seeking? What are your personal expectations here? What's your goals? What's your intentions? What are you working for? See how those questions get a little bit deeper? Where do you bank your hopes? What hope are you working towards or or building your life around? What do you fear? You see, fear is the flip side of desire, right? So, for example, if I desire acceptance, that means I'm going to fear rejection, right? So ask somebody, what's, really, what's, what do you fear, man? What do you feel like doing? That's another good question. That's just a synonym for desire. Sometimes we feel like eating a gallon of ice cream or staying in bed all day. Or refusing to talk. Sometimes that's how we feel. Ask somebody those questions. What do you think you need right now? That's a good question to start the conversation. Somebody sinned against you. Hey man, let's talk about this. What do you think you need here? Most cases, a person's felt needs picture their idle cravings. What they're craving in their heart. They think they have necessities, but they actually are not. These things begin to rule their hearts. We can ask people this. And what are your plans? What's your agenda? What's your strategy? What's your intentions? All of these questions are ways to begin the conversation that might lead to showing someone that they're treasuring something beside Jesus Christ. And that's a dangerous road. That's a road that shows why Jesus died. He had to die because humans naturally treasure something else. And God was going to punish that. Instead, he punished Jesus who made the sacrifice 
When Jesus rose again, like we'll talk about next week, he proved that we can have a new life where treasure in Christ is possible. And it is possible to see his glory. I was talking in a small group this week. And we're just having a conversation. We we're looking at texts like this. And I asked a question. I was like, so, tough love. Uh, who can share a victory story, a good time, when you saw tough love in action? Anybody have a, a good story where it worked out well while somebody came to you? And the person, somebody just said, Missy. <laughs> I was wanting a story, and they said a name. I was like, what? They said, Missy. Uh, what are you talking about? I said, my friend Missy is great with this stuff. And it turns out her life is being transformed because she's got a friend that meets with her regularly and loves her enough to say the tough stuff. Listen, if you don't love somebody, don't ask these questions. Don't, don't pursue them. If you don't love Jesus, don't ask these questions of people. But the glory of this story of the person in our small group, she said, I'm so much better off that I have a person who's showing me tough love. It's like a match, man. You want to see a light? Got to light a match? Going to rub first, right? Got to rub it, and then you see the light. If you want to see the light of the glory of Christ, there's going to be some, some rubbing. The good news is, after you light the match, you don't stare at the matchbox, right? You don't stare at the rough part. You throw it aside. You use the match. When someone comes, and exposes your sin. You're not to spend the whole time staring at your sin. You're supposed to say, you know, you're right. I want to confess that. As you confess it, then you move on to see the glory of the light of Jesus Christ. It's how you are wired if you're born again. Think about maybe you've ever been on a trip, driving through a glorious mountainside. I went on a trip one time, and I was driving through the mountains. It was beautiful, man. Birds were singing, trees everywhere, a beach off in the distance. I'm just driving on the mountainside, and all of a sudden, here comes a tunnel, right? And everything's blocked out. It's like zoom, dark in there. Lights on, lights off. Zoom. Then about 10 seconds later, you burst out, and see the glory of the creation again, right? Trees are still there. Everything looks sunny. It's bright. It's glorious. And all of a sudden, up ahead, one more tunnel. It's dark for five seconds. And then, boom, you burst out again. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to roll. You need to have people in your life who will come beside you and show you this type of tough love. Tough love that wears fleece. Tough love that holds a mirror and reflects their own sin back to them. And tough love that doesn't just stay on the surface, but tough love that shoots at the heart. What we're going to do now is we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. All right. If you're a guest here, you're welcome to take it if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's cool. We're glad you're here. But this is kind of a family meal, so we ask that you just watch us and watch what we do here. But if you're a Christian, if you're treasuring Christ, if you're following Jesus, we have tables up at the front, a table in the back, and in a moment, you're welcome to come, take the elements, and come back to your seat. But as you do, we've got a crowded room here, but as you do, I want you to get alone with God. In your mind, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God. And I want you to actually begin to act on this text. God may have it that he has someone in your life he wants you to go to and show tough, redemptive love 
Not critical love, not condemnation, but tough, firm love that peels back the blinders so that they can see the glory of Jesus. Talk to God now and ask him. Ask him if there's someone. And also ask, does he have someone coming to you, right? Because if someone's coming to you to make you better, to show you love, you don't want to stiff arm them. So ask God to humble you this week. I think he either wants you to show grace, tough love to someone, or he wants you to receive it. That should be the normal flow of the Christian life. But now is your time, after I pray, to get alone with God and make this text work. Let's pray. God, I do pray that by your spirit now, something phenomenal, supernatural will happen. Flowing from this text, your spirit will begin to prick us so that we'll see God's glory more. 